I apologize to the people of Los Angeles. My behavior has been improper and I accept the consequences. I ask my fellow Angelinos for their patience and understanding. Life here can be difficult for me. After all, I'm the only one of my kind. During my incarceration, I will be participating in alcohol and anger management treatment. You deserve better from me. I can be better. I will be better. Hi, and welcome back to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I'm Rudy, the review reader. Today I'll be reading the review for Hancock by David Denby of The New Yorker, June 30th, 2008. Will Smith's Hancock is a drunken slob nihilist with supernatural abilities. After Speed Racer, Iron Man, Indiana Jones, The Incredible Hulk, and Get Smart, which is so innocuous that you forget the jokes before you hit the street, ouch, it seemed clear that this year's big summer movies, however spectacular, had lost all interest in making even a minimal emotional connection to the moviegoer. But Hancock, starring Will Smith, is a surprisingly resonant spectacle that places three people with recognizable feelings in the middle of a wild fantasy. For one thing, Hancock has the grace to acknowledge the audience's increasing impatience with digital wonders. Hancock, Smith, a lonely superhero in Los Angeles, can't fly anywhere without making a mess. Carelessly, he punches holes in glass tower office buildings, and when he lands on the street in some pleasant suburban neighborhood, he tears up the pavement. The public hates him, and the Dickensian TV lawyer Nancy Grace of the curling lip and ferocious eye is on the case. Consider this, a fellow named Ray Embry, Jason Bateman, is stuck in his car at a railway crossing and Hancock saves him from the oncoming train by putting up his hands and bringing the locomotive to a jolting halt. The trouble is, the piled up cars behind the locomotive jackknife and fall off the tracks. Hancock doesn't mean any harm, but he's out of it. Unlike the comic book hero, he has no normal placid self. He's always an airborne bum. The grateful Ray, however, has a scheme for saving him. The good-hearted PR man, he insists that Hancock interface with the public. He persuades him to wear tight-fitting rubber suits like a proper comic book hero and to make smiling appearances at West Hollywood clubs. But when Ray introduces Hancock to his wife, Mary, Charlize Theron, the movies, the movie, adding sexual tension and emotional power to its visual gags, reaches a new level. We're also puzzled by Berg's visual style, which, in these intimate scenes, depends on a handheld camera restlessly moving yet pinned to the actors in super tight close-ups. It's as if he were making a Cassavetes psychodrama. Suddenly we realize why he stays so close. We're watching genuine actors at work, not well-paid hired hands filling up the space between agitated zeros and ones. For the first time in his life, Will Smith doesn't flirt with the audience. He doesn't smile and tease and draw. He stays in character as a self-hating lonely guy, and in Berg's close-ups, the plain of his face seem massive, almost sculpted. And the rest of the movie, which includes some superb comic invention as well as scarily turbulent scenes, grows out of it. Hancock suggests new visual directions and emotional tonalities for pop. It's by far the most enjoyable big movie of the summer. And now, here is MC 
Spro, and a special guest to tell you why you should give this movie a second chance. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am your host, M to the C, and no, you know what? Don't cut this out, but I want it on record that I regret saying it that way. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to express my contrition for sounding like a douche. I don't know why I did that. I, I, I have no good reason. Maybe to try and spice things up a bit, you know, like. You know, in a dull marriage, when you you bring home handcuffs and shit like that, it didn't work. But you can leave this in so that people know that I'm at least aware and learning from my mistakes. Let's take it back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am your host, MC, joined by, as always, my dear friend, Spro. Spro, how are you? Yo, 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 it's Spro Wiggity. Whoa, whoa, the Spro. Okay, How's thank it going? you. I feel better now. I feel much better now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Feel like I would help you out there. I appreciate you being the lowest common denominator in that, <laughs> uh, in that, in that exchange. We're also joined by a, a special guest who, truthfully, needs no introduction, but we have to do it because you don't know who it is. Rudy, Rudy, how are you? My name is Rudy, and I'm here to say <laughs> I like rapping in a major way. Holy shit! Do you have an anti-drug message that could go at the end of that? Are you gonna Stay go? Off crack. Are you gonna go into a junior high and put on a play and then end with that and hand out some ribbons and such for the kids? I'm about to turn my chair around backwards oh, and sit in it like a cool shit. person. Do you have a Do you have a tweed blazer with the elbow patches on it? <laughs> do you, is that Is that one single earring I see on you, cool teacher Rudy? This is the best intro to this show. Rudy's are you got about, a dangerous are you, mind. Are you about to assign X Men for homework? Because it yeah. because it parallels think, Greek mythology. Think outside the box, wow. y'all. You know, speaking of Greek mythology, and I didn't even mean to do that. The movie that we're going to be talking about today has quite a bit to do with the lore of superheroes, quests, gods, angels, all sorts of things that I was excited by because I'd never seen this movie. This was a brand new Virgin Voyage viewing for me. That's some alliteration for your asses. Virgin Voyage viewing. I was aware of it, possibly had seen bits and pieces here and there because some of it was very familiar, but never seen it the whole way through. And of course, I'm talking about Hancock starring Will Smith, Charlize Theron and Jason Bateman and a little asshole German kid or French maybe who for me stole the show. Uh, Rudy, you brought this movie to our attention. Tell us why you think Hancock deserves a second chance. Well, because I think that it, it it lives in this special place where it took a genre that we were all familiar with and introduced kind of like an original character in the sense that he's not a part of the norm. Uh, it's not a Marvel. It's not a DC. It's not something we're familiar with. And I think... Peter Berg, the director, did a fantastic job of like telling this unique story. Gr- granted, superhero and the tale of a superhero isn't unique, but the way that they told this story was. And I felt like it fit the mold for Second Chance Cinema. 
Absolutely. Peter Berg, a kind of a darling this season. Uh, Battleship. What was the other one? Draft the Day. Rundown. Oh, the Rundown. The Rundown. Draft Day. The episode Rudy was on. Are you thinking, yeah, so. you know. are you thinking of the, uh, the <laughs> Ivan Reitman Draft Day? Yeah, Jam. Yeah. When did this movie come out? On my 26th birthday, July 2nd, 2008. I know. 2008. So, so in 2008, if we backtrack the evolution of superhero movies, and I always start with Blade. Blade was 1998, then we had X-Men, then we had X2, Spider-Man, kind of in that area, and after that it gets a little bit fuzzy. Iron Man, I think, was close to that, right? 08 or 07? It was actually two months to the day before because it was May 2nd, 2008. Okay, so we've got a good landing strip of superhero movies, and here comes Hancock. (laughs) Not a DC property, not a Marvel property. But a really good example of how superhero movies don't necessarily have to rely on pre-existing characters. Before we get into our discussion, Rudy, can you tell us what the next part of the show is? Yes, it is the Wheel of Poetry, which I have not forgot about. That's why I asked if you were going to be caught off guard like you always seem to be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, because I get so excited. And then, you know, but I, I dedicated myself. I was like, don't forget, Wheel of Poetry. So I, I'm ready. You're like a dog. You get so excited. You squirt that little bit of pee out when you see us and then you forget everything, right? Well, yeah, at my age, I pee a little bit all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the Wheel of Poetry, way it works. Should I do this as um, Cheech from, from Dust Till Dawn again? Do we just want to use that? Yeah, if you want to try it. <laughs> Can, am I allowed to do this, Rudy? Is this okay? You you can do it. Do I have am I do I have permission to do this? I am viewing this as an homage to the great Cheech. So there you go. Okay. <clears throat> hey, welcome to the Wheel of Poetry. We got six different kinds of poetry. We got ABAB poems. We got haiku poems. We got limerick poems. We got toast slash roast poems. We got song parody poems. And we got acrostic poems. Whatever one we land on, we're going to write. And if you can find a better form of poetry that you want to give it shot yourself, go for it. <laughs> so good. The I was transported. The Wheel of Poetry opened from dusk till dawn here on Second Chance Cinema. <laughs> Spro's going to play the trailer, but not before I spin. And let's see what we land on. Oh. A-B-A-B poem, which means a poem in which the first and third lines rhyme with each other and the second and fourth lines rhyme uniquely with each other. So Spro's going to play the trailer for Hancock. We've got that amount of time to compose a, a, I guess, I guess my name would be, I don't want to say his name in the movie. It's Chet something. So I'm just going to go by Chet Poetry because it actually kind of sounds similar to what his name is in the movie. Let's do it. Okay. okay. That was too Fonzie, but you get the idea. Suspects on northbound 110. Heavy gunfire exchanged. We need backup. Fellas, listen. Give yourselves up quietly. Okay. Okay. 
Trump's latest act of so-called heroics has once again enraged city officials. I can smell that liquor on your breath. Because I've been drinking. Jackass. Call me a jackass. One more time. Jackass. How about you, thickness? Goggles? Hancock, son of a gun. I knew you'd come. <laughs> Stop crying, punk ass. Not okay. I do public relations. People don't like you, Hancock. I look like I care what people think. I think you're wasting your time with this guy. Pulled some stuff up on YouTube. Everybody remembers Walter, the gray whale. He was stuck on the beach. Along comes Hancock. Oh, my God. I don't even remember that. Greenpeace does. You're a superhero, for God's sakes. People should love you. How are we going to do that, right? Right now, there's a DA trying to figure out how to come up here and put you in jail. I say you go. Hmm? He's not going to go. People take you for granted, you know? we got to make people miss you. If you don't move, your head is going to piss you. Gail Watch Day 5, and crime is still on the rise. You got a phone call. It's the chief of police. He says he needs your help. You have a calling. You're a hero, Hancock. You're going to be miserable the rest of your life until you accept that. Life here can be difficult for me. After all, I'm the only one of my kind. You deserve better from me. I will be better. I ain't wearing that. What? It's a little tight. What you got? Hancock, I need you to end this. Do I have permission to touch your body? Yes! It's not sexual. Not that you're not an attractive woman. Maybe on a different day. Get me out of here! Hancock is down. He looks hurt. That's it. Make it look hard. So the trailer for Hancock, Beastie Boys Sabotage, and there was another song at the beginning, I forget what it was, but that was a that was a musical treat. Yeah, wasn't it a Franz Ferdinand yes. take me out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll go first. All right, let's do it. All right. <clears throat> so, huh, Hancock came out in 2008. You would think after Will Smith's 2022, I bet he wished he did this today. Could have gotten some character reconstruction, dude. What were the rhyming words? 2008, 2022, today, dude. Dude, that's what it was. Dude. The punctuation of dude. It was going to be two, right? T-O-O. But then I was like, I don't want to rhyme two and two. So then I said, dude. I applaud you for that. I'm glad you didn't do that because it drives me fucking nuts whenever I hear that in a song or even even when I try to avoid using the same word twice in sentences I can't yeah it, it's a it's a it's a it's a block in my brain that I can't get over when I see the same word twice in the same sentence yeah it's, especially like back to back like when you have to say well that that or whatever oh, you know just throw me off the fucking roof yes <laughs> all right I'll go next <clears throat> Hancock was a jerk, a superhero with no class, fighting crime with a smirk, shoving head into ass. Yes. 
That's good. Some great That's effects. Good. An effects-driven film and the yeah. buildings coming down, the, the superhero powers, but n- none so realistic as the puppetry of a, of a, of a man inside another man's ass. <laughs> <laughs> for comedic effect obviously go ahead rudy bail me out right. of this i'll go next will smith, you are the you're the last one so I you am? gotta go next okay well i'll go next then i'll go next i'll take this that one sounded like uh that movie i think it was where sean connery was a dragon and he says you are the last one or no he says i am the last one what was that, was that dragon iron heart dragon heart Dra- iron dragon Dra- dragon, dragon heart i am the last one go Rain ahead fire. go ahead you're rudy. the man now dog Okay. <laughs> Will Smith played a drunk hero who doesn't know Charlize is his equal. The fucks he gives equal zero. Damn it, this movie deserved a sequel. Nice. That's awesome. This is the <laughs> second job. this is the second episode with a guest where they've just completely throttled us in the poetry. Do you remember do you remember Jeremy's sudden death poem? Yes. Yes. I Incredible. Did. And Rudy, you just did it again. We're losing Thanks. it, bro. We are it's a good thing the season's or, almost over. I think we could use a breather. <laughs> just maybe we're elevating our guests. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that maybe <laughs> maybe it. maybe we're maybe our light is allowing them to shine. You yeah, know, the like students are surpassing the masters. Like that's yeah. like that speech the kid gives in Coach Carter. Anyway, Hancock is a superhero who we meet right out of the gate, passed out on a bench. The little kid, is that the kid from uh, Malcolm in the Middle? Yeah, uh, no, the middle. Is Was that the show? Wasn't that the kid from that show? Did they did they rename Malcolm in the Middle to the Middle? What are we talking about right now? Wasn't <laughs> there- Jimmy Eat World? <laughs> what, wasn't there a little- what? Talking about Middle Earth? <laughs> <laughs> That's that kid, Proto, right? That, that kid that kid looked familiar. Was Just that keep going down the wormhill? Was that Elijah Wood? The good son? No. The good no. son. Wow, you, the good said, son. you said the good son and I said Elijah Wood at the exact same time. That was some morphic resonance right there. Well, you talked about Middle Earth. True, I did, but we synced up pretty quickly. My point being that kid looked familiar. Anyway, that kid wakes up Hancock on a bench. Hancock's drunk, hungover, hungover, not drunk, next to a case of what I thought was Hennessy. Like one of those grocery store cases, which was kind yep. of funny. And we're immediately introduced to Hancock as a ne'er-do-well reject outcast of the superhero variety. Now, not the first time this had been done, but the first time it had been done, I think, with such gusto and heavy-handedness. And from the second I met Hancock through the movie... I didn't like him. So mission accomplished. I was the whole time I was thinking it's it's a weird balance between not liking somebody because they're a villain and not liking somebody because they're a dick. And, yeah. and Hancock was a was a dick. And I immediately was put off by it. And I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. And to back you all, I mean, just to let you know, uh, Atticus Schaefer played Brick Heck. In the show The Middle, that kid's from The Middle. It's a TV show that was on ABC, I think. So that kid (laughs) looked like a kid from Malcolm in the Middle to me and was on a show actually called The Middle? Yeah, I know, right? I know. You guys looked at me like I was crazy when I said The Middle. You're like, Rudy doesn't know English. But no, yeah, I remember it. I saw an episode once or twice. It was also weird that they got like three weird looking kids for this movie. Who was the third one? Well, Well, you you got the the French kid, right? Michelle. Michelle. Um, You got Charlize's, no, Jason Bateman's kid. Charlize's stepkid. He looked weird looking. He looked looked like a kid. Mm, 
That I mean, kid always looks weird. What? And then you got the kid at the beginning who just his his legs seemed too short. It no, it was his shorts were too big. They were they were <laughs> swallowing up his legs. It was it was almost like a like he came straight out of the nineties. Like he would have had boxer shorts sewn into the top of the jeans that he was wearing. Like he came straight out of the nineties with those pants. Because I noticed that too. He looked like a stick figure. We're talking. <laughs> we're, we're, we're devoting a lot of time, a good chunk of time, to this kid to the in children the be- in, in the beginning of the movie. Would you want a cookie? Get out of my face. Asshole. What? You heard me. Let's move forward just a little bit as we meet our, I guess he's the protagonist, co-protagonist, Jason Bateman. Yeah. Whose name I don't remember. Mark? No. Ray. 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 And he is a PR executive i suppose his own his own pr firm trying yeah. to make it trying to pitch a big idea that only he can see a big idea that only he seems to believe in and <laughs> the guy he pitched it to man i am proud of my i don't even know what part of my brain recalls the useless information whatever part that is i saw the guy in the pitch meeting that he pitches it to i'm like that's the big racist guy from friday night lights <laughs> He's, Me too. Me he's, too. he's one of the he wasn't one of the coaches. He was one of like the boosters, I think, yeah. who tells Billy Bob Thornton all sorts of terrible things about what he wants to see happen. And right away, I recognized him. Boom. That guy was shitting on Booby Miles. Don't like him. And of course, he gives Jason Bateman the blow off. Jason Bateman's idea is a little bit, I don't want to say half cooked, but it was a big ask of him to try and get a pharmaceutical company to give shit away for free, even though perhaps with the long game, it could turn out to be a good thing. But what that sets up is this kind of idealistic foil to Hancock's curmudgeon and Hancock somehow I don't remember if there was like a distress signal or what but meets Jason Bateman when Jason Bateman's car gets stuck on a train track Hancock comes flips the car over stops the train by shouldering into it in what was a really really clean effects sequence that's one of the things that I noticed about this movie and I attribute that to Peter Berg because I know we were talking about how the fight scenes and the rundown were so clean and crisp and seamless all the effects in this movie were the same way except maybe when he's flying around what was it he there was a part where he's flying around in his baja jacket he yeah. was i feel like he was carrying somebody at the time he was carrying well because yeah while jason, yeah while jason bateman's given the pitch he's got those uh the guys in the suburban and he's like dangling them like yeah you know he, he gets pretty i mean let's be honest in the first 10 minutes like Will Smith really sets the table for this character. I mean, he he's drunk. He tries to grab a woman walking by. Yeah, he, <laughs> that was fucked he, up. He just swiped at her like, come here. And then <laughs> he cusses out an old lady. And then he gets pretty racist with the, the Asian guys in the in the in the SUV because he's like, yo, you speak of the Angle now, huh? Like he's like, get, I was like, holy crap. What a piece of crap this guy is. I don't give a shit what you did. I don't care. Three guys in the car, no girls, rave music. Hey, I'm not going to judge. But if you don't pull over and give yourselves up quietly, I swear to Christ, your head is going up the driver's ass. His head 
is going up your ass, and you drew the short stick because your head is going up my ass. So I love that that you just used the word crap twice in the same sentence. I did it did for you. you. Do that thank to you. Piss me off. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> go on. Go on. Love you so much for picking that up. Oh. <laughs> I wish the listener could see the disdain and disappointment on your face. It's not even that. It's just I'm more disappointed in myself that it bothers me. <laughs> you're just okay. you're focusing. You're magnifying my own insecurities. I'm sorry. Maybe that's uh, what you're okay. doing. I'm going to well, go to bed focus, stewing about that. Go ahead. Let's focus on Hancock's insecurities because right. he does end up and he saves Jason Bateman in that sweet train effect. And then everyone just starts yelling at him. And then like, there's a few lines in this movie that I, <laughs> I quote every once in a while. And she's when the woman's like, you, I could smell the alcohol on your breath. And he goes, I've been drinking, bitch. I've been drinking. <laughs> That was really good. That was really funny. And he he he's like conducting a symphony, like with these people yelling at him. And he's like, "Yes, give it all to me. I will absorb all this negative energy. I don't give a fuck." Ah, uh, shit. I'm alright. I'm okay. All of you people blocking the intersection. You're all idiots. You're the one that threw the dude's car at her. And what with the train? Why didn't you just go straight up in the air with the car? Yeah, why didn't you go straight up? You've obviously injured that poor woman. She's right. She should sue you. Yeah, she should sue you. Okay, well, you should sue McDonald's because they fucked you up, all right? And I can smell that liquor on your breath. I've been drinking, bitch. You're a drunk ass. You think you're such an and then Jason Bateman steps in and tries to put a different spin on it, or does, and thanks him. And it's kind of sweet. Jason Bateman's plan for Hancock is to make Hancock serve retribution in the eyes of the public by going to prison for, do they even specify? for It's it's going to prison. Eight years. No, but like, why did he go to prison? For destruction of property? For Pro- yeah, everything. Yeah. Just sort of a blanket act of contrition, going to prison and... And making the public miss him because as he's in prison, and this was pretty brilliant, as he's in prison, the crime rate in Los Angeles skyrockets and people start yearning for Hancock to come back. And it works. There's a good scene where, and and the, the part of my uh, poem that referred to heads and asses happens in the prison. It's sort of the, you know, beat up the biggest guy there on the first day, only he doesn't do that. He takes a little guy and shoves his head up the big guy's ass, which again was a great, I mean, it reminded me of one of those costumes, a horse costume where like the one guy is the back and the other guy's the front legs. It was that. And uh, it well, was it's funny because they, they set it up at the beginning, right? When he's talking to the Vietnamese mm-hmm. guys, like he's like, he's like, your head's going up his ass and you get the bad shot because your head's going up my ass. And that, that never weird. happens because he just, he yeah, just, I didn't get that part. <laughs> he just spikes them onto the Capitol Records building, mm-hmm. right? And it never happens. And I'm sitting there on my couch as I'm rewatching this and being like, I feel like I've seen people's heads shoved up. At, like, was that Deadpool? Like, I thought it happened in this movie. And then it paid off later. And I was like, oh, great. I'm glad I got to see. <laughs> I'm glad I got to see. I'm glad I get to see a man's head up another man's ass. The other. The thought sim- there would be more blood. There was a yeah. It was remarkably clean. It was a remarkably clean insertion. The, I wonder if there was an R-rated version where that the man is just hemorrhaging blood. Wow! Out of his man's head, hemorrhoid. Wow! I was gonna make a a cute reference to Bruce Almighty when he makes a monkey come out of the guy's ass, but you 
took it to a dark place and now we're there. Oh, oh my gosh, I can't Rudy, believe Rudy, bring us back. Be our magnetic <laughs> north. Be our be our north star here. Bring us back. I I think um <clears throat> they there are areas in the film where they try to they they don't they they baby step Hancock into becoming a more likable character. And they do that by introducing that one of the children that we talked about. And uh, there's a really sweet moment where the child confides in Hancock about like he's being bullied at school by Michelle. And, you know, the whole time you're like, oh, my gosh, he's being, you know, this this gender binary centric society is like oh, he's being bullied by a, a girl. And turns out that Michelle is a, a, a young French boy. And Hancock sticks up for the kid, the, 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 the little kid, Aaron, right? Is that the kid? Yeah. And he goes, he's like, hey, you know, he's a good kid. Why don't you take off, take it easy on him? And Hancock has a trigger. What's his trigger? The word asshole. He can't stand it. And so listen to this, this fridge kid say asshole, call him an asshole. Asshole. As, saw, as it was who? it was classic Augustus Gloop from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and he did that move. And this is a this is where you know you can like tell Hancock's from the streets where he gets close to somebody on the side of their face and doesn't look at him, but says, "Say, call me an asshole one more time." That's that's a straight hood <laughs> move. We do that all the time. My bad. Everybody, all right? He's an asshole. What's your name, boy? Michel. Oh. You know who I am? My papa says you are an asshole. Well, that's not really a nice word to call a person, is it? Asshole? Yeah. Because that could make someone very angry and, you know, maybe hurt their feelings. She behave like an asshole. All right. Uh, do you, you know Aaron? Oui, le petit asshole. Well, uh, seems to be a pretty good kid. Uh, just want to ask you to lay off him a little bit. Why, asshole? You're going to stop calling me that. Asshole. That's not my name. Asshole. Call me an asshole one more time. And the kid couldn't get the, the first syllable out, and he's airborne. It reminded like, me of in uh, Elf when when Peter Dinklage says, "Call me Elf one more time," and then he yeah. puts his ear out. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, uh, it was so good because then. Like you have like these tiny glimmers of like, oh, he's trying to do the right thing and he can't get over it. I mean, he can't he can't help what he's been conditioned to do for the past however many years. And they, you see the same thing in prison when the guys try to pick a fight with him and he tries to talk. He's like, listen, we don't want to do this. Let's move on. And if you don't move, this is going to happen to you. They learned the hard way. So you said the past however many years, which we later learn is a great deal of years, thousands of years. And if we want to specify the timetable like a like BC and AD, we have kind of new Hancock, which we learn emerged about 80 years prior at a showing of Frankenstein. And we learn that as he's starting to get to know Jason Bateman's, Bateman's family, his interactions with Charlize Theron are tense. 
right? There are there, there's something weird that you notice from the very first interaction between the two of them. And that I vaguely remembered from whatever parts of the movie I'd seen before, but forgot how it turned out. And I thought it was very interesting that it was so obvious right out of the gate and that the payoff when it happened was pretty, it was decent. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a twist that blew my mind, but was also a story that made a lot of sense, especially within the mythology of the movie. Now, Spro, are you still a big Charlize Theron fan? Because you used to I, be the biggest, if I recall. Yeah, and I, you know, I try to, ah, it's just that, it's that ex-girlfriend that you keep going back to. It's like, it's, because here's the thing, right? Like, I love to watch her on screen. She's a fantastic actress and everything like that. I stood next to her wax figure at <laughs> Madame Tussauds and realized she's like 6'2". And I'm like, this could never work between us. It really, that's the it really only shattered. Reason. That's the only. That's reason. the only reason. It really shattered a little bit of the fantasy for me. <laughs> but like, she walked out on this thing, and I was like, God, I just cannot stop liking this woman. This hey. one, yeah, she's like, she's like, you know, if I watch Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct, like that will always be my number one, other than Ariel from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> But then then you got like Sandra Bullock from Speed. But I think it's like Charlize that has taken up like the most amount of time from The Devil's Advocate and Two Days in the Valley all the way to Mad Max Fury Road. Like I was like on board. Hey, not Monster so much. I was going to say she looked great in Monster. <laughs> that was peak. And you know what? I want to say that I don't like the way you're talking about my friend Spro. So <laughs> look, buddy, haven't you heard of Short King Spring? All right, listen, you petite prince. You go out there and you get your Charlize. You hear me? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Gotcha. Um, I, before we move too far away from him, the actor that played Michelle, his name is Dag Fersh. <laughs> and the reason why I know who Dag Fersh is is because I love when you go into IMDb trivia and you have to scroll all the way down to find like the things that people don't really like, and then you notice this like was he did, did he hockey... did he play Carl in Die Hard? No, he. <laughs> but we did a movie before where like I think it was a hockey movie, and they were like they did all their own hockey whatever, and I was like that's obviously the guy that played in that part. Dag Farish has a trivia mentioned in IMDb that says Dag Farish did all of his own stunts. For the movie. And I was like, who the fuck is Dag Farish? It's the little kid actor that played Michelle. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a whole lot of stunts for this kid that's on screen for 30 seconds. But I'm glad the actor went into his Hancock trivia and wrote himself a little a little thing. But there's like 54 downvotes on the thing. People did not find that useful. Oh, poor guy. Well, what was his stunt? He jumped miles and miles in the air when, when Hancock... <laughs> What was the stunt to stand in front of a green screen? Is that does that count as a stunt? I think so. And be caught by Will Smith. Yeah, be caught by maybe? Will Smith. I bet if they hooked him up to like a pneumatic like air ratchet that pulled him up into the air, that would be impressive. But I don't think that happened. The one thing I wanted to talk about with both of you was the the lack of a villain in this movie. Tell me about tell me because there was a villain technically. His name was. Yeah. Red, Red Stewart or something like that. Yeah. And he was just the most generic bank robber bad guy who was in all of maybe three, four scenes. But he was there and he had a role. And I'm wondering why he existed in the movie. Because other than him getting both of his hands chopped off, which was pretty funny, it seems superfluous. 
because I think ultimately the villain or the antagonist is Hancock himself and that he he can't get out of his own way to become a better person. But they also needed some kind of catalyst to propel Hancock to ultimately become the better the, the person that he's meant to be. And yeah, I, I felt the same way because I was watching and I was like, wow, there's really no bad guy. But we got that guy and he's just kind of like I feel like he's kind of just like an accelerant. Like Hancock is already a fire and he's just a little bit of gas to get it go, to get it up there to get to get that character back up there. I was okay with there not being an actual villain because I liked watching the the character of Hancock evolve over the, the course of the movie. That was the thing that struck me as strange because he does and he does so without the help of any of those other ancillary characters like like Red. That could have very easily because the whole point of introducing Red was to show the remade Hancock, where he's got his super suit, he's clean shaven, he's polite now, he asks for consent to help a woman off the scene. And he that that to me was and it was supposed to be the most endearing part of the movie where he is fumbling through this new role as a good guy, not a superhero, but a good guy. And he's he's unable to do it seamlessly and smoothly, but he's trying. And that's when you start to turn the corner on the sympathy for just this irredeemable, previously irredeemable character. And it's through that that interaction with Red that Hancock's new identity is formed. And from there, we start learning a little bit more about because he starts spending time with more time with Jason Bateman and his family and Charlize Theron. And then we learn that the twist or the backstory has to do with her being a superhero as well, which was at first I kind of thought it was convenient. Like it seemed like a very convenient explanation for or a convenient device to throw into the movie. But I really did like the way that they handled it almost like a it it rang out like a Greek myth to me. Like it was very, you know, we've been around for 3000 years. There were pairs of us before we were created in pairs, but they don't say necessarily by who it's not like a specific religious tale. You know, they just they just kind of leave that to the imagination, which I thought was really cool. I love it when there are stories, superhero stories or fantasy stories that are rooted in even the smallest sliver of reality or history or, you know, culture or whatever. And I thought that was a really clever explanation. I mean, it's also like 100%. Yeah, right. But then the way they add on to it, they add a little little dashes of stuff like the the thing that if they're closer together, they become mortal. If they If they're close together for an extended period of time, they start to lose their power. I thought that was, I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. And you don't really see the effects of that until he's in that convenience store where he breaks up the robbery. He's like, your gun against my Zagnut bar. And like, he gets shot. And you're like, oh my gosh, he got shot. And the other element of their relationship that I loved, which is why I was like, this movie deserves a sequel, is I was like, does she still love him? Because when she comes to visit him in the hospital and she's holding his hand and talking about the time they spent together, I was like, wait a second. I'm team Ray right here. Jason, you got a good man trying to change the world. And 
are you are you hitting on Hancock right now, lady? And I wanted I wanted to deep dig deeper into that and like because I thought that was a really great element to the story that they added. So I mean, I was all over that. For me, the part where they're in the kitchen after he brings home drunk Jason Bateman, I think they were yeah. at, they were at like a celebration yeah. with Dangle from Reno Nine One One and. Uh, <laughs> And and Darlene, Darlene's boyfriend from Roseanne, who were at a at a, a PR gala or something like that. He tucks drunk Jason Bateman into bed, and then they go down to the kitchen. They have this weird, you know, sexual tension kind of scene. I didn't yeah. like that. I thought that because I'm with you. I was like, he's upstairs. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And then she throws him out of the house, and that was kind of funny. Throws him literally through the door out of the house. And I thought that was kind of funny, but it was also really kind of icky and uncomfortable. Yeah, it it was equal parts, all of that. It was great. And they even kind of at the end, I mean, I'm not going to skip too far ahead, but like they start to bring it back that she has chosen Ray and she wants to be with Ray. And she even when she throws him outside of the house, she goes, if Ray finds out about me, you're dead. Like, which I was that was loaded when I first saw it. I was like, is she is she the bad guy? Is she the villain? See, that's what I thought would have been interesting is if she but, but I didn't I didn't want her to be the villain because she was a she was a good character. She didn't she didn't do anything that was suspect. She mm-hmm. there was just something unspoken that we as the audience couldn't quite figure out. But it would have been interesting if somehow maybe in the previous iteration of their life she was a villain and you know, she couldn't break the pull of trying to be a villain or whatever. That could have been really, really interesting. That could have yeah. been, or, or maybe they meet another pair of the, the superhumans that they thought were dead and weren't anything but red. I mean, <laughs> anything but <laughs> stupid red. <laughs> oh, come on. Give red a break. There is a really, there's before red shows back up again, because in the second, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but I, you know, just recently watched it. Like I really suspended my disbelief when I was like, oh, first they were in prison and now they are out of prison. So when red shows up at the hospital. Yeah. How was did a, that happen? Because he goes to prison <laughs> without a hand. How did he lose the, fr- oh, he threw the, the lampshade at him, right? <laughs> the lampshade. Yeah, he throws the lampshade at him to to, yeah. to get the detonator, which was which, which was cool. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's a and then like a day or two later, Red's okay and he's back <laughs> causing trouble. The, the judicial system in this movie moves quickly. Well, also Red. the 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 healing process. Did he have the doctors from fucking Face Off do his what? hand like to, to to cut down the swelling and the anti-inflammatories and all that shit? Well, to talk about Spro's point of in his need for blood. Um, the uh, when Jason Bateman saves Hancock by chopping off Red's other hand, he holds up his little nub and there's no blood. It's just a, it's just a like a, a sleeve. He's just holding. And he's like, you didn't. It was, it was as if he just tucked his hand into his sleeve, like an like an uncle would. If if like <laughs> oh. the nephew hit his hand too hard and he said, "Ow, you knocked my hand off." Or, <laughs> yeah. It was in the vein of, "I got your nose." It was definitely yeah. <laughs> not the best effect in the in the film. And that was a very intense scene. The first time I saw it, I got a little weep, a little verklempt. I got the vapors because I was like, oh my gosh, is one of them about to die right now? And and I think that's where Red really helped propel it because as Hancock is approaching Red and he's just keeps shooting him and 
just as calm as could be talking, you know, saying you've done it, you've done your job and he just keeps shooting him. I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, don't tell my wife, um, my, our youngest daughter wandered into the room during that scene and she was very concerned. She was like, what's happening? What's happening? And I had to be like, no, he's, it's okay. He's a good guy. It'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> so, but it was, I mean, they really build up, especially without having the villain. They really build up uh, the, the tension. They build up this uh, mountain that needs to be climbed in the character of Hancock. And I, I, I mean, I really, the thing that I brought up about the hospital scene is that Charlize refers to him as the insurance policy for the of the gods like she talks about how hancock was meant to be a hero that's pretty badass i know i was like the insurance policy of the gods i wrote that down it's a bit good line it's a bit of a mouthful but that's still a pretty i feel like that could be a john wick tagline (laughs) that's a that's a pretty pretty solid endorsement Spro, you've been awfully quiet. Are you are you still with us? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't want to disturb. You guys had a good flow going of conversation, and you pretty much took us to the end of the movie. So I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> rewind a little bit, just because I liked the conversation about how there is no bad guy. And the OG, just to give a little history on the whole thing, the OG title of the movie was Tonight He Comes. So Ray was supposed to be a 12-year-old boy, and Hancock was supposed to be the villain. That was the original script that the Vincent Nago wrote back in uh, like 1996 or something like that. The person that rewrote the Hancock iteration that we saw today is Vince Gilligan. And if you don't know who Vince Gilligan is, he was the creator of Breaking Bad, the TV series. Ah. So when Peter Berg picked up the script, Peter Berg said this script reminded him of leaving Las Vegas with how dark and miserable is all supposed to be. I because can see that. Hancock was supposed to be a suicidal alcoholic superhero who was sexually frustrated because if he orgasmed, he would kill any woman that he slept with. So he could not find a woman to sleep with, which would have added a little bit more context to finding Charlize Theron, somebody that could handle him sexually and him being like... You know, type of thing. I didn't take it that far, but the the tortured superhero, the it, it definitely gave me Bruce Banner vibes from I forget from Avengers where he says I put a gun in my mouth and the other guy spit out the bullet. That whole thing yeah, and yeah. Logan for sure. Like there were there were parallels of of yeah, the tortured. They definitely superhero. could have gone darker. The only reason, like the, the MPAA, who is um, who's responsible for our rating system, the MPA, the two biggest problems that they had with Hancock was he's flying while drunk. And the second one was he's drinking in front of a seven-year-old boy. Like, but the going back to the conversation of that there is no villain, it's almost it adds to the mythological lore, right? Because there was never too many villains in mythology. Like it's just it's really people versus themselves or versus their own wants and desires or anything like that. Kind of like the story of what is it, Lot and his wife that are running and then he can't turn back or she's gonna turn into a pillar of salt and he does. And like it's just fighting your own impulse pulses, which is what Hancock is all about, because Hancock and Charlize, what's her name? Mary. Mary. So Hancock and Mary are drawn to each other, but through this drawing to each other, they are killing each other. Like she makes mention that every other god has died because they decided to settle down together 
not fight their urges anymore and pretty much pass away as mortals, right? So like the fact that falling in love with your soulmate is the worst thing that can happen to you in this movie is a phenomenal, like just story driven line. What you were saying, Spro, it's, it gave me um, Spider-Man vibes from, I think, Spider-Man 2 when he starts to realize that he can't both be Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Yeah. <laughs> not Spider-Man 3, not the greatest, one of the greatest movie douches of all time, Spider-Man 3. <sighs> but the sacrifice, the whole with great power, great responsibility, that was very, very... I wish more time was devoted to that and less to Red in the movie. I'm really, really, yeah. bent, I'm really bent out of shape over, over the existence of Red. And I'll let it go. I won't lose any sleep. I haven't lost any sleep. But there was so much so, about this movie that was just really novel and was really exploratory of how a superhero could be created without, like I said before, pre-existing in a comic or another another property. Yeah, it's kind of like Brightburn. Like I wish Brightburn had, you know, a little bit more to it. Like they're like, we're going to create. I don't but was, What's Brightburn? Brightburn? Is that was the movie a comic, with the orcs? No, it's no, the Brightburn movie. was yeah. the evil kid superhero with Elizabeth Banks playing yeah. his mother. I don't think I saw that. That not cocaine bear. Uh, it's not no. cocaine bear. Oh, and not a whole lot of people did see Brightburn, but it was one of those like, oh, I wish this could have been better. Like a movie that deserves a second chance, or not quite. No, but I would have to give it a second chance myself to know if we should bring it on. We'll keep us posted. because even that was the thing with this movie is that I think the twist caught me off guard the first time seeing it back in two thousand eight with Charlize being bad and then it being very kind of. Off-putting when they're fighting on Hollywood Boulevard, and she's got the dark, eye, you know, the dark eyeliner and everything, and doing the three tornadoes. Like I'm like, is she bad? Like all that going through my head the first time viewing it made me, I think, check out, bump a little bit from the movie. Where the second time I watched this movie, and I know everything's about to happen, I loved every like I could sit back and relax and just let the movie play fucking laugh my ass off when Will Smith is cracking her upside the head with the rolling pin and being like, I could do this all day. And like, you know, Jason Bateman's like, Jason Bateman might be the best thing about this movie because some of his lines when he's like, hey guys, yeah. hey guys, do me a favor. <laughs> Jason Bateman is, is he, it's so weird how he, it's, it's like he plays the same character, but he doesn't. He, he's, it's never, I'm never, I'm never lost in his performance to where I don't know it's not Jason Bateman. But there's enough subtlety to where you're right. He was he was perfect in being sort of the guy who was in the dark about all this, but in a really, really adorable way. Like, I'm sorry. Like after the scene in the jail, when the last image you see before they cut to Jason Bateman on the other side of the glass in front of Hancock is the man's head up another man's rectum and they're screaming and everybody's screaming. Jason Bateman, they cut immediately to Jason Bateman and he goes, did you put another man's head up another man's ass? And he goes, we're going to put a pin into that. One. We're going to circle <laughs> back to that. Like it's the perfect He's he does it well and it fits in masterfully here. And, and it really, like I said, it made me want to root for him when I was like, wait a second, I don't want Charlize and, and, and Hancock. I don't want Marion and Hancock getting together. Ray is the, the good guy here. Let's, let's, let's get behind Ray. Everybody. He was really the only good guy in the movie even the Charlize Theron character obviously though she's 
not a villain. She hid a pretty big secret from Jason Bateman and her son, his son, throughout the whole movie, which there's some responsibility that was not taken there. So he's really the only idealistic character in the movie. And it's just a really, really great contrast to the complicated, broken characters that are around him. Speaking of complicated and broken, like I did write in my notes, Hancock straight up murders some people. Like, Who did he murder? Uh, the guys that he threw out of the windows at the, the hospital. Oh, and the bad guys. Deservedly. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, obviously. But like, <laughs> I, I remember being like, oh, okay. So yeah, they're just going to kill people. That's cool. And I loved not only the 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 character growth in it, but I love the physical transformation. We're we're back in the jail, and the was it the chief of police calls and like we need you. And my, I'll never forget he's shaving with his fingernails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's a hell of a barber with his fingers. Look at that cut. That's a nice edge up. He got it all nice. But I loved how uncomfortable that he he didn't take to it like quickly. Like Ray shows him the uniform. He goes. I will fight crime butt ass naked. And he's you like, no, have. You. It's on YouTube. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so good. But like, I love that like he's awkward when they tell him to smile at that dinner and he gives that like that. It's like more of a grimace than a smile. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't know how to exist. And you slowly see that build. And I, I mean, uh, well, that's the best part about it is when he's stretching, he's outside of his comfort zone. I mean, those are that's that's when that's that's kind of the metamorphosis for all the good superheroes, you know. With somebody like the Hulk, who we mentioned before, it's more of an obvious transformation. He goes from Bruce Banner and then he becomes the Hulk and they're polar opposites. But even like Tony Stark, Captain America, there's moments in their stories and their mythology and all that where they go beyond what they know and they have to kind of take a risk or they have to do something uncomfortable and they have to, they're at a crossroads. And that's exactly, that's that's when you kind of buy into a character. And I think that's that's what this movie did really, really well. And to his credit, Will Smith played it pretty perfectly. He made Hancock awkward, but not in a way that diffused his powers or his strength or, you know, the, the fact that he was a legitimate superhero with like well, every I, superpower you could imagine. I think like the most important thing that he says in the whole movie, though, and is his most honest part is he's talking about 80 years ago, he was left He was never claimed. He was abandoned. Nobody loved him. And how much of an asshole must he have been for nobody to come looking for him? That should have been 80 years. That should have been way up front in the movie. That would have been. So the second time you watch it, you know, like for 80 years, you got to realize this guy became the asshole. He thought people thought he was right. Like it's just a good character piece. What about you, buddy? You're from another planet, aren't you? No, man, I'm from Miami. You didn't come in on like a meteor? Nope, woke up in a hospital, first thing I remember. Government hospital, yes? Experimenting on you and... No, regular old Miami emergency room. Come on. Yeah, my uh, my skull was fractured. They told me I tried to uh, stop a mugging. Somebody knocked you out. I guess I was a regular guy before, and when I woke up, I was changed. In the hospital, nurse tried to put a needle in my arm and it just broke against my skin. And then my skull healed in like an hour. And doctors were astounded. And, uh, 
They wanted to know my story, just like you, but I couldn't tell them. I don't know who I am. Amnesia. You know, the blow to the head. Yeah, well, that's what they figured. You don't remember anything? Uh, only thing I had in my pocket was bubble gum, two movie tickets. Boris Karloff, uh, Frankenstein. But no ID, nothing. I went to sign out. The uh, nurse asked me for my John Hancock. And, uh, I actually thought that's who I was. How come I didn't hear any of this? I didn't read about it in any newspapers? Well, it, was, it was probably in the papers uh, 80 years ago. 80 years ago? Oh, I don't, I don't age. This is it. That's nice. Gotta wonder, though. What kind of bastard must I have been? And nobody was there to claim me. I mean, I'm, I'm not the most charming guy in the world, so I've been told, but... Nobody? Exactly, and let's take this moment, because if you're a fan of the Second Chance Cinema, or if you've dabbled in a little bit of Rushmore, you know MC's uh, proclivities to talk, I don't even know, as a word in a, uh, a calendar here, I don't even know if I used it right, um, uh, to talk about how Will Smith, it's hard for him to sometimes recognize Will Smith because it's Will Smith being Will Smith in a movie. And I feel like this is not, this is Will Smith not being Will Smith. This is not, this is not Independence Day. This is not the Fresh in, Prince of Bel-Air. In my, defense, in my defense, that gripe usually refers to action or blockbuster movies. Obviously, yeah. Will Smith has drama chops and things like that. And this was kind of a hybrid, right? It was yeah. a, an action movie with a very, very three-dimensional character that, like I said previously, the, the part about him, when he drops that bomb, whatever he says, you know, how how what kind of bastard am I that nobody wanted to claim me at the hospital? I feel like it was great. It was very, very, it was heartbreaking for him to say that. And especially because it was at the, like the apex of his, it's not really a comeback, but his his new role as as this legitimate good guy superhero that people love now. People are celebrating and he's at this realization about just the the loneliness in his life. And that was a really, really good contrast because they're at this fancy party. It's it's all the trappings of, of celebration and he drops this huge emotional gut punch. And I felt like, man, I, I, and, and I wonder if it was in the perfect place or if it would have happened a little bit earlier, like if he would have dropped that, you know, that nugget about his past a little bit sooner if I wouldn't have been as hard on him, I guess, as I was while I was watching him be an asshole for the first half of the movie. So good. It just, the more we talk about it, this movie deserved a sequel. Before we get into five questions, there is one IMDb trivia that I thought was especially interesting. Let's hear it's it. It's pretty long though, so take a seat. While never stated, the imagery, names, and minor plot elements point towards Hancock being the Egyptian god Horus. 
Even ignoring the original screenplay, Tonight He Comes, where the Ray analog character was named Horus. In that version, Ray's character was the hero and Hancock was the villain. The imagery in the final movie is very plain. Horus, the lord of the sky, was often depicted in mythology with the head of a falcon and wearing the Shvent, a double crown consisting of a white crown and a red crown, which is reflected in the movie as Hancock's white and red cap that has an eagle on the front. He was also described as a great falcon with outstretched wings whose eyes were the sun and moon, relating to the image of eagle with outstretched wings on Hancock's cap, the sunrise reflected in his sunglasses on the movie poster, and to his alteration of the moon at the end of the movie. Mary, whose name means beloved in Egyptian, would be the goddess Hathor. In mythology, Hathor is the wife of Horus the Elder, but she is also described as the wife of Ra, aka Ray, at times. A normally gentle fertility goddess and protector of children, her alter ego Sekhmet is a powerful goddess of destruction that Ra could only stop by tricking her into getting drunk using blood-colored beer. This fits her character in the movie, who is a mother to an adopted child, Aaron, also an Egyptian name, but is also shown to have a destructive temper and to be stronger than Hancock when he makes her angry. See, that's... I like that. Like I said at the beginning, when there's, when there, that's why I really wanted to like Shazam, but I didn't because it was, I don't, I don't know why, but it was rooted kind of in the, you know, the lore of, of Greek mythology. So that, what was that Egyptian you you were talking about? That's cool. Yeah, that's Egyptian. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty piece. Want to do five questions? Let's go. So five questions. I don't really have an intro for this one yet. That that might take another three years before we figure out how to introduce five (laughs) questions. When you Google anything really, uh, such as a movie title, you get five questions that Google suggests. And I guess these are questions based on people, based on what people have asked about whatever it is you're searching. So the first question, when I Google Hancock, who is stronger, Hancock or Mary? That's a good question because I would say Mary because she says she's stronger, but Hancock is the insurance policy of the gods, which would make it seem like he should be stronger. Rudy, you recommended this movie. Do you have a take on that? I mean, I think it's definitely Mary because Hancock can't control the elements. According to the Hancock wiki... (laughs) <laughs> which I'm, I'm glad that exists. Mary can easily break the sound barrier in Earth atmosphere and she flies just as fast as Hancock. She can also use her strength to jump very high like Hancock and control lightning, but doesn't use it because of the destruction it causes. So it doesn't really give a definitive answer. Yeah. So I'm going to say Hancock because he's reckless. Because he doesn't give a shit if buildings are in the way. Like, Mary's going to be a little more careful. She's going to uh, be more Ohio driver. And Hancock's just going to New York the shit out of it. So <laughs> I like that. All right. Question number two. Do Hancock and Mary get together? No. Pretty pretty simple answer. There, there were some teasings of it, which it seems like none of us liked because we were such big fans of Ray. Yeah. But no, yeah. not officially, because if they did, they would die. What happened to Hancock 2? So Hancock 2, there everybody was talking about sequels other than Will Smith, I think. It was um, Peter Berg wants to do a sequel and Charlize wants to do a sequel. Um, and they've been talking about it. The latest iteration was 2020. I do think because of Will Smith and the slapping of Chris Rock, I mean, he almost plagiarized his sorry speech to Chris Rock from his sorry speech to this of being like, you deserve better. I will be better. You know, type of thing. I was like, that sounds eerily familiar. 
I think he should have done Hancock 2 more than Bad Boys 5. If he did Hancock 2, this would have been amazing timing and everything <laughs> that like that. Such, that is such a great observation. That yeah. <laughs> because of all the movies, I want... I wonder if he actually did. He was. I wonder if he, him and his PR goons and his manager were like, "All right, we need a contrite sounding speech. What's a movie that people kind of don't remember?" <laughs> Hancock. What about? Can we use anything? Perfect. Found the speech. Let's just do it. Put in Chris Rock's name, and we're good. So I will. I will say to you, Chris. I apologize to you. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable and I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. Uh, it hurts me psychologically and emotionally to know I didn't live up to uh, people's image and impression of me. And I'm human and I made a mistake and I'm trying not to think of myself as a piece of shit, but I, I promise you I am uh, deeply devoted and committed to putting light and love and joy into the world. And if you if you hang on, I promise we'll be able to be friends again. So the reason why, we're, because we're this pulling made, back the curtain on your shenanigans, Will Smith. <laughs> Once this episode goes viral, fucked. People, everybody's gonna watch Hancock and be like, ah, it was there all along. Mm-hmm. Um, the but really, what killed the what killed it from. And what brought us it to Second Chance Cinema? Because it made money. Like it was a $150 million budget, made I think somewhere like $456 million. So it made its money plus some, but it's got like 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like the critics just railed against it. It's very divisive. It, which, very divisive. Yeah. Okay. So because of the bad reviews, it didn't automatically just go into sequel territory. Which is strange because if it made money, you'd think Hollywood would just be like, oh, make another one. There's <laughs> yeah, money. but this is like. I can't do the studio is, exec like Jeremy no, no, does. Your studio exec no, it does not compare to, to it's Jeremy's okay. studio executive. All right. Next well, like one. Right before this, Will Smith did, I think it was like Pursuit of Happiness, I Am Legend, then this. Like he was on a roll. So I yeah. think he was just continuing on. How does Hancock end? Hancock paints. I don't know how he puts the red on the moon. But he, puts, <laughs> he puts Jason Bateman's logo up on the moon. And you could see, ah, I just love the couple of Jason Bateman and Charlize Theron because she's got her arm around him. You could tell she's like not thinking about Hancock at all. She's all up in her man. And he's like, am I going to get in trouble for this? And they smooch and everything. Well, and then yeah, such a ro- the- such a romantic. You you are yeah. an inspiring romantics, bro. You really are. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you said before she's like six two, right? So he must have been wearing some lifts, or she must have been on like a Muppet stage or something. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, I think the only person that like looked down on her in the movie is Will Smith, and I think Will Smith is he's like I, seven foot probably- five. I think look. Yeah. When you're five seven, five eight, like everybody looks six two to you. So exactly. I don't. She might have been just like five eleven. What did you Own call it, him, buddy? A petite precious prince. What did what no was a the- petite prince? He's a short king. <laughs> Give it up. It, no, you know the. There's also a mid credit cut scene. There is. Yeah, where well, you find out that Hancock is in New York. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, uh, Mike Epps. Mike Epps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Which, that was good. That was fact. that was that was a good nod to Hancock, new Hancock, because instead of yeah. hearing asshole and flying off the handle, he smirks, and and you're just yeah. kind of like, he's got a handle on this now. He's got, god damn it, I used the word handle twice in the same. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a grip on this now, and he he can he can harness his energy more 
effectively. <laughs> so this is the question. Usually there's like four questions that actually relate to the movie. And then there's some weird one that, that just sneaks in. Can Hancock beat Blackbeard? Bro. The uh, pirate? I guess. I don't know. There's... I mean, I could click on well, the link, but I feel like I want to. I want you it. to just. I just don't want you it. to freestyle. You're going to get a virus. Yeah. I just want Considering you to freestyle. Considering the fact this. that Captain Blackbeard, the most feared pirate of the 18th century, only lasted two years and then was ki- trapped and killed by a bunch of North Carolinians, I'm pretty sure Hancock could have easily taken Blackbeard over and then sailed with his decapitated head on the front of a ship. Did yeah. you know that just off the top of your head? Yeah, I study pirates. <laughs> Like as a hobby? Um, well, I wrote a pirate movie about And so I had to do all the research. Wow. You consistently uh, impress and surprise me in the best ways. And this is no, <laughs> this is, this is no departure from that. Now I know yeah. if I ever have a question about pirates, I just need to the text. The most successful pirate was a Chinese woman who had like 12,000 pirates underneath her reign. She had to, the Chinese government pretty much surrendered to her. And then she went, okay, I want all my pirates to get pieces of land and stuff like that. And then they were all rewarded and they all retired together. But the most successful pirates were actually women. So not only could, well, according to Spro, Hancock could beat Blackbeard. I don't you four times. I don't think <laughs> Hancock could beat Spro. If the if the contest was pirate trivia, no, that is pirate one power trivia for Charlize's heart. Spro's winning. That is <laughs> he one that lived is through all these eras. So, but he has amnesia eighty years ago. So that is one superpower that <gasps> Hancock, Hancock does not have. Should be him versus Somali pirates. <laughs> I'm then the we captain. can put it all on a boat. Now. I'm the captain now. That would be great. Look, look at me. Call me captain. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Final thoughts on Hancock. I'll start because I want to wrap up with Rudy. I I love the movies. I love the superhero movies that aren't superhero movies. And even though this was pretty definitively a superhero movie, it was one that did not stem from anything other than kind of a fresh slate. And we were introduced to the characters. We are introduced to the world. We're introduced to the you know, the imperfections and the the flaws that, that are very humanizing in a way that feels familiar, but also feels new. And I thought that was really, really engaging. Could do without Red the villain. I think his screen time could have been spent more on either, you know, exposition of, of the Greek mythology and things like that. And again, I don't, we didn't talk about this a ton, but I can't praise the effect sequences enough. They were just so clean and crisp. Everything from the train getting smashed and then kind of, you know, snaking around all the cars and everything just looked really, really clean. Uh, all the time when Hancock threw the little, what do we say he was a French, French kid, the little French kid up in the (laughs) air, caught him a minute later. All of that stuff was just really, really cool, really ridiculous, but also on the towing the line of of believable because it looks so good. And and I I enjoyed this movie. This was a, a quick watch and it was very, very enjoyable the whole time. 
Spro, final thoughts on Hancock. Um, so this was your first time seeing it. This was probably my second time sitting down and watching it all the way through. And I remember like Rudy brought us two movies this season, The Rundown and Hancock, which are both kind of surprisingly that we were able to put them on Second Chance Cinema for whatever reason. We thought The Rundown was better or like more well received than it actually was. It was kind of a it was a box office flop. And this one just received negative reviews. And really, the first time I watched it, I think I wanted more from it. And then the second time I watched it and reading the trivia and everything like that, it has so many nuances of foreshadowing that are amazing to see on the second time around. Like when even Charlize is like, your hand is bruised, right? Pointing out to the fact that he's becoming mortal, but it kind of goes, I mean, it really goes way over your head the first time that you watch it. And then when you're looking for it all, but really what, I mean, I'm reading through the quotes right now and laughing my ass off at some of the stuff. Like when, like, I know you didn't really like it when he was an asshole. I think I like asshole things. So, I mean, like even when he's sitting there and he's like, the one guy's like, she should sue you for the whole train accident and whatnot. He's like, well, you should sue McDonald's because they fucked you all up. You know, like <laughs> just these <laughs> <laughs> like it's things that like he's like all oh, y'all blocking the intersection y'all idiots you know like <laughs> it's just it reminds me now of uh what's his face from the boys and oh, he's yeah. getting like so many quotes going on Bill, uh, uh, homelander. Homelander. Hom- homelander yeah and he, like the way that he's just mean to everybody underneath him i think is a part of like superhero culture that we kind of need to explore a little bit more because you're gonna have this ego and this fuck y'all attitude if you are saving people over and over again who are just doing the most idiotic things and this movie is sections right it's the first 30 minutes is the pr movie and the second 30 minutes is like trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with Charlize and all them and the last 30 minutes is trying to see if they survive at all so i mean like it's broken up really well it's a short i think 97 minutes man everybody needs to go revisit hancock especially because we're all superhero fatigued i think with what we got going on this is a fresh one it's a new one it's something it's a you really good point i wonder if i wonder if my dislike of hancock was subconsciously fueled by what will smith did last year like i wonder if there was i wonder if there was any residual kind of cringe or ickiness that that played into it i like to think my brain is more evolved than that but who knows at this point I did, I, use, what, I did like, use the same word twice in the same sentence a couple minutes ago. I want like ago. a 10 minute meta. I want Jason Bateman talking to Will Smith after the Chris Rock slap and just their Hancock characters. And just Jason oh, Bateman like being like, being his PR none guy. of that, none of that. <laughs> did you shove a man's head up another man's ass? I'm going to... We're going to circle back to that. Less of that now. Less of that. I mean, Jason <laughs> Bateman, like when he's like, your street was like that. I live here. I know what the street looks like. <laughs> <laughs> he's good. I mean, he and he he does a lot of improv stuff, too. So I wonder how much of that was was just kind of off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he just take a whiskey bottle into the bathroom? Do you want him to kill us all? Do you <laughs> it's good so stuff. Good. It was it was a good movie. <laughs> And Rudy, you brought it to us. You you gave us this this gift from the gods, the Egyptian oh. gods we just learned in Spro's history lesson. Tell us your final thoughts 
I it would be to echo Spro took the words right out of my mouth. That's why we are simpatico. Um, if you have superhero fatigue, if you're like, okay, I, I Marvel's got me. I'm too. I, I need a I need a palate cleanser. You need to go back and watch Hancock. Like that's it a is, really really good point. It it was like it it. I don't feel it's hyperbolic to say that it was ahead of its time in the sense that it really dealt with the accountability of quote unquote superheroes and delved deep into the mental health of superheroes. You, you There's a scene in this movie where you have a superhero sitting in a, a, a therapy circle, unwilling to share his thoughts with other convicts and talk about, you know, what he's been through. You got to move on. Got to move on. It's it it was something that I really enjoyed when it first came out and I think that due to the creative storytelling and honestly the performances that it's something that won't really tire for me cuz every time it's on I'll watch it and enjoy it and I think uh the second chance cinema audience would as well. It's a superhero movie that's not necessarily a formulaic superhero movie. That's a good thing. There it is. That's a great point you guys made about superhero fatigue. We're all a little tired and burned out and <laughs> rightly so. And this is a good, I forget who said it, but palate cleanser is a really, really good term to describe what this movie could be in terms of, of really classic superhero tales. So with that said, we've made it through another episode. Rudy did jammed on the wheel of poetry that's that was a that was a superpower in itself just <laughs> just just shamed both of us <laughs> and uh spro spro's superhero pirate knowledge i mean that's something that that i won't soon forget and i'm now going to try to actively come up with pirate questions i think just so just so i can in, in, enjoy it some more and my superpower, I suppose, would be catching when I use the same word twice in a sentence, <laughs> for better or worse. That's a shitty superpower, and I wish I didn't have it. So, in that in that sense, maybe I am kind of like Hancock. Maybe I maybe you know maybe it's my cross to bear. All that said, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, this superheroic episode of Second Chance Cinema. Um, for my dear friends and co-hosts, Spro and Rudy, I am MC. Be sure to check us out wherever you can. And don't call us assholes. All right. You're all right. You're all right. All right. Oh, stop crying, punk ass. Go ahead. Good? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past i'm doing a hundred on the highway